All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 32nd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcast, where you can also like and comment on the MoneyWise show. As we kick off every weekend's MoneyWise program, I'll turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 420 points, or 1.2%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 34 points, or eight-tenths of one percent. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 13 points, or one-tenth of one percent. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up, is up 13.5%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 16.9%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 13.1%. The NASDAQ is suddenly now in last place. Well, I guess we can thank uh, the interest rate environment for that one, right? This past week. What did the ten year? What did the ten year finish? We Friday. finished on Friday one point six, right? One point six zero five percent on the ten year Treasury is what I had. I don't know that I could necessarily hang it all on the because really, the, the big declines happened on Monday, and then we were up Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then Friday, we were down a little bit at one time. You know, we kind of vacillated between up 100, down 100 uh, on the Dow. Um, I don't know that it was necessarily about interest rates. I, I, I think there was some, some hand-wringing on Monday about what's happening in Washington. Uh, and that seems to have – that those concerns seem to have subsided. But, ladies and gentlemen, this is not the first time that we've had this – the weaponization of the with the politicians uh, with whether they're going to raise the debt ceiling or not. It's like and a broken record. It, it is. And, and we've, you know, it's I what it reading, is. I was reading an article about, well, there's the, you know, the, the markets are concerned about them shutting the government down. Well, the last two times they've shut the government down, which I think was in oh, 2013 and maybe 2018. I, I'm sorry. I don't have the, article in front of me both of those times the entire time that the government was shut down and one of them was for one of them went from i think it was 2017 into 2018 uh for you know for a full month the markets were up both times market didn't care market didn't care it's like the honey badger 
because they knew <laughs> they, they knew that, that they were eventually going to open the government again. Just like, ladies and gentlemen, we know that they're going to raise the debt ceiling. They, they've done it over. They've done it sixty times now, sixty-one times. But throughout throughout history, periodically, we have to bring out this weapon. Political theater, especially if the timing of the ability to use that weapon is advantageous for the party that's out of power. When another party wants to pass one of the most massive spending pieces of legislation, we've. We we may have ever. I mean, I, I no, I, I no, I think I Jeff, it's is the biggest we've ever seen in our lifetime. You know, and, and let's not forget old old crazy Bernie Sanders. He wanted ten trillion dollars, so three and a half trillion to five trillion. He's like, well, I'm getting fifty percent, trying to get fifty percent of what I want. I mean, and and we see the end effect of the government spending when we saw the jobs reports on Friday. I mean, we, we see what happens when – now, granted, as I said on last weekend's show, when we had the COVID lockdown and the COVID correction in March of last year and the payments that were going out to people that lost their jobs, I mean, that was definitely needed. And, and I don't want to, to gloss over you know, that, that, that issue because there was definite need of people across this country. But as things started to unwind, as – Country, as, as states started to open back up, these continued payments to the unemployed have kept them on the couch longer. And now we're seeing that end effect when we see the, the jobs numbers on Friday come in and less than 200,000 jobs created. I think it was 194,000. And expectations were half a million. Yeah. yeah, the estimates for over a half a million. Now we saw the employment, the unemployment rate ticked down to 4.8. And I know President Biden was out doing a, you know, parade, parading around on Friday, pat, breaking his own arm, patting himself on the back for job well done. But I hate to tell you this, Joe, the unemployment rates at 4.8% because the participation rate is 61.6%. That's the reason why the unemployment rate ticked down. So, well, so don't, so, so, so don't be congratulating yourself too hard because this just is going to show the same problems we're seeing here in Texas, we ended those unemployment benefits months in advance of the rest of this country where people are still not getting back into the labor force. So one of the things that I mentioned last week is terms of what, what should investors be looking for in terms of data points uh, to that, that may influence the direction of the market. And I think I may have said that I don't think that the unemployment statistics are a data point that investors necessarily need to be uh, focusing on. And however you cut it, this number was not good. This not based on expectations, but what was, what was the overall reaction of the market? The overall reaction of the market, in my opinion, was muted at best. I mean, there just wasn't mm-hmm. any reaction. If this had been six months ago, nine months ago, when we were, starting you know when we we're starting to get the pulling out of the recover we were pulling yeah. out of the covid uh this would have been much more negatively uh, uh interpreted markets oh absolutely markets. and what but I, what i also said is i said that i think that what we have to be what we should be focusing on right now is is the inflation numbers and we're going to get them next week we're going to get consumer prices and producer prices uh, consumer prices on Wednesday and producer prices on Thursday. I think the Wednesday number 
will get a lot more attention than necessarily the Thursday number. Uh, but that's, and we're also going to be starting earnings season next week. And we've got, you know, what the companies are going to be saying about how supply chain disruptions, how changes in their cost inputs, whether it be from employment cost inputs or raw material inputs, how those are affecting their profits and their outlooks for profits. That's what we really got to be watching as investors next week. Well, and I also, there are reports on how things are looking at uh, from an employment standpoint, if they're able to, to fill staff. So let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Money Wise podcast on Apple Podcast, where you can also like our show. We would appreciate that. And also, you can add some comments. Also, through the podcast, if you have show ideas, something you'd like to hear us discuss here on the Money Wise program, leave all your comments through the Money Wise Apple podcast. So if you're just joining us for this weekend's Money Wise program, just giving a quick synopsis on last week's employment report. Employment numbers far below expectations, 194,000 expectations over a half a million. The unemployment rate, which, of course, the Biden administration is focusing on, falling and down to 4.8%. But he also leaves off that little little snippet of information that the participation rate is extremely low at 61.6%. Um, Here's a question, and Joe's going to have to get his bell ready for the fight. And, of course, Dad, sorry about this one, but I have to ask, is the employment report going to give Jerome Powell and the Federal Reserve a little bit more cover to kick the can further down the road of when they're going to announce the beginning of the tapering? 100% no. Okay, 100% no. Joe, what are your thoughts? Um. I say 80% no. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you should have just said 50, Joe? No, I was going to say 50. Even half then I'm, I'm always in the middle between all of y'all. That would be just too political. Okay. You'd be, I, you'd be I, being well, too the, PC. I, do you know why? Do I, do I know why it's 100% doesn't matter? What was the, what was the last thing? What was the last quote that we, that we saw from the, Federal Reserve Chairman Powell. What did he say? He said he was frustrated with inflation. He didn't say he was frustrated with uh, low, with uh, declining job growth month over month, which means true. Me, which I'm putting in our market comments that are getting ready to go out to all of our clients. That to me, the key is not what the inflation numbers are. The key is, pardon me, not what the employment numbers are, but what inflation. the inflation numbers are. That, that, because they, the Federal Reserve policy can't do anything to get people to go and apply for a job, to get off whatever it is they're doing, to, ch- you know, to go out and get a job. Federal Reserve policy is not going to affect that. Now, Federal Reserve policy, if they decide to 
go out and say, and the market gets this message, whether it's overt or not, that the taper is going to happen sooner rather than later, and the first interest rate increase is going to happen sooner rather than later. That's going to have that's going to have implications in the market. We got a, we got a preview of that in the last two weeks of September, and 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 I think everyone knows that uh, in terms of volatility, volatility hasn't dialed down. Volatility has continued into October. Well, we, we I, were saying that well, the last two weeks that essentially the volatility in October. Get, get ready for your roller coaster ride. Cause it, well, and I and happen. I mean I I think I think and we it, could be seeing the next six to eight months. I mean we could be running. We could see month over month of continued volatility. But I also remember, and I don't disagree with what you said about Jerome Powell's last comment about his frustration of the prolonged inflation not being as transitory as once thought. But I also do know how much the Fed is focusing on employment. And they're focusing more on employment. I, I, think they're, I think they're still focusing more on employment than they are on inflation. Because even before this, when they changed the calculations to how they're calculating inflation and allowing it to run hotter for longer. But when you look at things such as 65 container ships, Sitting out on anchor off the coast, off the coast of Long Beach, off the coast of California, that have been some been sitting there for a month or two because there's not enough longshoremen or truck drivers to get the containers off. This is where the supply chain bottleneck is occurring. One of the areas where it's occurring, and then that's causing this inflation. And if we could get more people out on the street working. I mean, you look at companies like Walmart and Home Depot, you know what they, I read a report this last week, you know what they're doing? They're leasing their own ships to the tune of a million to $2 million a month just for the ship. That doesn't include the operation costs. They're they're taking, they're kind of taking the bull by the horns and saying, we're not going to wait. We're just going to get our own ships and do our own shipping and ship them to other ports that have employees to uh, get them offloaded. I got a quick question for you, Kyle and Jeff. Did you ever own a Care Bear? No. Okay. No. So here's a good statistic that's backing up what Jeff was talking about with inflation and transportation with 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 uh, freighters and tankers or whatever off the coast. Transportation cost for the Tory Maker Basic Fund, which makes Care Bears, they have seen since the pandemic a 620 percent increase in transportation costs, which constitutes roughly 20 to 30, 23 percent of the overall cost of making a Care Bear. So think about that. If you've ever had a Care Bear. And there's nothing, about, there's nothing in Federal Reserve policy that's going to get truck drivers in the trucks or longshoremen on the shore unloading the, the containers from the ships and putting containers yep. back on the ships. There's nothing. That, that, that's why I say there's, you know, I've never really, what is it that the Federal Reserve can do in their policymaking that actually affects employment? Because I know that's one of their policy mandates: full employment and price stability. Right? Price stability to me has connotations of inflation. That's that's what they're really saying. There is that they're 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 trying to not have inflation get too hot. We you know, we remember the the fears about hyperinflation and oh yes from 08, 09, and you know got a, We've talked yeah. about it a yeah. lot. We, we talked about it a lot. Never came <laughs> a lot. fast. And and four or five or six, wherever we're going to be next week, when they when they report the CPI number is not hyperinflation. 
Uh, and yes, they did say they were going to let it run hotter for longer, but they didn't say how much longer longer was. And I, I just don't think or how they, hot hot is. They also you know, didn't say that either. Remember when I went to college, full employment was six percent. Same with right? me. And now we're we're well below that. But that's also are, due are we to back, the participation are we rate. To, are we back to pre? Well, pre pandemic was what three and a half percent. Maybe? I, I don't know what participation rate was in the 1980s when I when I first heard this in a economics class in college, but now we're at 4.8, and inflation continue and everything that you just said, Kyle, about the problems they're having in the ports, the problem we're having with transportation, and Joe talked about one particular item, just one. And all these items have to be delivered in some way. They don't just materialize. We don't bring them down, Scotty. They come in here on a truck. Boy, that'd right. be nice, though. <laughs> wouldn't have nice. much, we wouldn't have much problems <laughs> with inflation. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so <clears throat> everything costs more because it costs more to transport here, if you can get, even get it. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? What are the implications there for inflation in the future? Well, I don't see these supply chain issues changing anytime soon, and there's nothing Fed policy can do about changing uh, supply chain issues. So it all, to me, leads back to, okay, we're going to have higher inflation for longer. It's not transitory. And the Federal Reserve is, in my opinion, going to have to act sooner than they otherwise would have. And I'm not sure if the market is really ready for that. But is this the first time I would say in our country's history where inflation is being driven and and being affected more because fewer people who are unemployed are not going out and getting a job because, because, because they've been getting, what about oil? oil well, that, that well, that's that's high. that doesn't have anything that's to do because with of the boneheaded. That's the the boneheaded okay. decision of the current administration. That that that's all that's, that that's all your, self-inflicted. That's I self-inflicted. But that but that's not. A, but they not, actually that's not an employment issue. That's but they people sitting I know, at home. I know, but they okay, people sitting they, at home on their on their couches are not why oil prices are up. Oil, oil prices, yes, I would agree with you, Kyle. That it's it, some of it. I'm sure has to do with policy, but some of it also has to do with these other these other issues, and it's another input True. that's going again continue to keep inflation. And it, 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 to me, it, that's that is the key right now. This number comes out hot next week. The markets are going to react, in my opinion. Now, they didn't react at all to the unemployment number being quote unquote. Bad. All, all, all I'm saying is I'm not disagreeing with all the inflation conversations. I'm just saying the cause of the inflation is pretty darn transparent. And they finally on the financial entertainment press on Friday morning, finally asked the question, do you think the government was giving money out too long to people? Yeah. Finally, I heard someone ask that question. No. On CNBC, someone, a reporter from CNBC attached to MSDNC finally asked the question, did did people get money too long and too much (laughs) from the federal government that that has been the biggest cause to all this inflation issue? So because of that transparency that's causing all this inflation, it's transparent to the Fed. Do they maybe just hold the reins, hold their water a little bit longer before they start the taper? Let's take our next commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. 
We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or receive a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office, toll free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts, where you can also like and make comments on the MoneyWise show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, just going into our full dissertation over inflation, Fed policy, I know it's a, a big fight that's been going on for I'd say for at least a month or so between Jeff and I and Joe, of course, as always gets caught in the middle as a referee. We actually should make you wear stripes to the office, Joe, like a referee's uniform. I think we joked several months ago on the program. I think dad's got some old uniforms you can yeah, wear. It, it, it's not a fight. It's a debate. And it's the same. I know it's it not happens amongst. I mean, that's just the, that's the it's portfolio that's, management. That's that's what's happening in the marketplace. There there are those that believe certain things. Those that look at those that's have certain statistics to back up the way what they believe. And then there's certain statistics that, that back up the other side of the story. That's what makes it a market. That's what makes it buyers, you know, buyers and sellers. Um, we but, have but not what, had, we have not had to worry about inflation as a variable that could have negative effects on stocks in quite some time. Yeah. I mean, they, they were actually more concerned. They were, they were more concerned about deflation for several years. Right. Why can't the Fed get inflation up? And that was a problem before well, the pandemic the occurred. Other thing is, how many? How long? How long we've been trying to get wages up? We've been we were talking about getting you know, wages. We just can't get any wage growth. Can't get any wage growth. And now we finally get some wage growth. And what are we doing? We're wringing our hands. It's we're well, it's all it's offset by the inflation. It's it's <laughs> offset by inflation. But I I remember before the pandemic. I mean, we were hovering right around what one point eight percent was was inflation was hovering right around one point eight. And it was like that for a very very long period of time. And like you said, Jeff, there was some hand wringing over. Are we? you know, a deflationary situation. And now we've had the pandemic. We're now seeing the end effects of too much government spending to, to help folks across the country, which was needed in the beginning. I do not disagree with that at all. It was needed in the beginning, but it ran too long. It ran too long. And it's now created the situation where you've got personal income at 40 year highs compared to their debt servicing. And so when you have mortgage deferments, when you have this moratorium on evictions, it's allowing people to, to, to basically stay at home because they've cleaned up their personal balance sheet. They've paid off debts. They've got money saved and they can be much more picky and choosy. And what is it going to cost a company to Tire entice them. exactly to entice employees and what it's going to cost them on their bottom line? Well, Which can then turn affects their earnings. Go ahead, Joe. Well, I, mean, I, I was talking to a, a potential client earlier this week. He works for a very well-known publicly traded company, and they can't even get people back on the lines right now. And he's been working out of his manufacturing, house. Manufacturing, yeah, manufacturing. manufacturing. They can't even get people back on the lines. So it, it it's a pretty big problem. But we can maybe go into it a little bit later. But it's it's also 
needs to be brought up. How do you fight inflation from a portfolio management standpoint? Managing money during a pandemic, how are you going to beat inflation? And there are certain vehicles we can go into. We could do this now or later. No, it's actually you bring up a good point, Joe. Well, I, I find it so interesting that this coupling of the interest rate environment and how the NASDAQ, the, the higher price earning multiple, primarily tech stocks, how they react as the 10-year treasury has been moving up in yields. And the last time I checked, and I know the explanation is, well, it affects their future earnings, the discount, blah, blah, blah. You know, the whole ex- technical explanation of, of trying to explain of why these higher PE multiple stocks are negatively impacted by a rising interest rate environment. But the last time I checked, the best way to outpace monetary inflation in an investment portfolio is owning stocks. It's owning equities in your portfolio. And, and Jeff and I did, a, I can't remember, was it two or three months ago, Jeff? We did the top nine investment vehicles to actually beat inflation. Almost One of them was a balanced portfolio. One of them was the S&P. I think one of them was owning the bond aggregate. But the other ones all, to, to actually beat inflation, you had to have almost perfect timing, meaning gold, real estate, or these other investments. It's not something you can hold for the long run. You're either in it at the right time or you're not. Are you that good? I mean, you have to ask yourself, in my own portfolio, if I'm doing it myself, am I that good to beat inflation and have the right investments at the right time? Or are you going to own, uh, own stocks for the long haul and have a better chance doing that? Well, Joe, what, what do we always say? It's not timing. It's time in. Well, it, that's the I'm, key. I'm going to eat for a second because we get into some heated portfolio arguments. Okay, There's debates, debates. We Not, had one. Yes, right. Jeff, right Jeff doesn't like show. to use it's the argument. I, I, I thought I almost had to get the fire extinguisher out and hose both of these guys down to get ready for the show. But I was looking at some <laughs> research, and actually, if you go back um, from January 20, uh, 2006 to December 2020, and I asked Jeff this. And I'll, I, I could ask Kyle, but a balanced portfolio of 60% stocks and 40% bonds over that 15-year period, all right? Kyle, do you want to take a shot at it? Jeff already knows. You want to take a shot what the average annual return was? In a, six, in a 60-40 from 2012? From, no, 20, uh, 2006 to oh, December gosh. 2020. It's going to be less than six. It's, it's pretty close, 5.5%. Okay, so 5.5%. So yeah, say inflation hovers around 3 or 4 for the long haul, there's one way that you can actually expect to possibly try to beat inflation, using a balanced portfolio. Right, you have, so. you have to own stocks. But the, this environment that we're in right now, we're not in an environment where stocks are cheap. Can anyone tell me that we're in an environment between the two of you that we're in a, an environment where stocks are cheap? There are some cheap stocks, cheaper no, I, I stocks, said, yes. Said, uh, the there are some that are just not good. Are you talking right as now? a whole? As a whole, the market is not cheap. Are we doing inflation adjusted? Are we doing the Schiller? Oh, here we go. <laughs> no, 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 no. What, I'm, what I'm saying is, is that, yeah, yeah, over the, over the long term, you're going to beat inflation. You've got to own securities that at least are going to have statistically show a high probability of increasing in value above the, the rate of background inflation. And that's going to be stocks, by and large. Uh, right now, the question is, I know all of our listeners have on their minds, is how should my portfolio be positioned for what we're facing? Because how many times have we stopped and started? We thought, oh, this is it. 
we're going for to interest higher, rates. We're going to higher interest rate environments. This is it. Oh yeah, you know, it, it's like it's like I'm, I'm seeing that scene from Sanford and Son. <laughs> I knew uh, you know, say that. Where he's where he's grabbing his chest, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and how many times did we ring the bell and say, "Oh, that's it. This is the, this is it," and we're and we're going higher. And we've been wrong. Well, a- along along with every other bond manager on planet Earth, right. whether it's Bill Gross, Jeffrey Girdlock at Double Line Capital, hedge fund manager. I mean, you name it. The 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 interest rate environment has been doing so many head fakes. Right. So since two thousand and eight when quantitative easing became the mantra of the federal reserve, never heard of QE prior to two, eight. Can you never, heard I've of right never now. heard of it. So since then we've gone through round after round after round of it. In order for us to have interest rates go lower, we're going to have to have another worldwide calamity. Now I don't know what that is. Right. I mean, I don't know what it is. There isn't anything right now. So unless we're going to have another worldwide calamity, we are 100% guaranteed that interest rates are going higher from here. And none of us know how high they're going to go. None of us know the velocity in which the interest rates are going to increase. None of us know. The Federal Reserve, though they keep saying they're not going to raise interest rates until, what, late next year? Cur- by the, current the trajectory. by the end of the year, they will cut that by at least six months. You opinion. think so? Jeff's think going so. on record. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say it right here, right now. So, so even though that there's conversations that the QE, their quantitative easing, their current bond buying, will be done sometime mid-summer of 2022, even if they announce it in next month's meeting, which is what on the street a lot of people are predicting that they're going to announce when they're going to start their tapering of quantitative easing yeah, next month. Taper. I'm not talking about tapering. No, I know. No, I know. Changes in, in I understand that. But if they're saying that they're going to be ending the tapering sometime by the midsummer, and they were saying that right now their first interest rate, potential interest rate move would be at the end of 2022, are you now saying that they're going to be ending the tapering and raising rates in and around the same time, mid-year, summertime of next year maybe and the reason the reason is is because the the, the i'm hearing more and more that the, that the federal reserve is behind that they're not ahead they're behind but i, I and, guess and jerome, and jerome powell has to get we, we got two new governors coming in gentlemen remember we got two governors that are resigning because of their stock yes. we got two new people coming in they didn't well, do anything illegal, by the way. But okay, right. Elizabeth yes, Warren thinks they but did. But we got we got we got two new people coming in, and the chairman is up for renewal in February, I believe, February of twenty-two. I'm still waiting for Elizabeth Warren to pay back all of her uh, grants that she got off off her lies when she was in college. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, there goes a purple. <laughs> so the, the, what I'm saying is, is that the composition of the federal Res- the, the decision makers at the Federal Reserve is changing. But what I believe happens, that the, the two governors coming in are more dovish, though. I have no idea. I don't. I, who are they? Do we know? They have to be confirmed. We'll have to do some more investigation. Well, let's take our next commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to like and add your comments for each show. So, if, wanting to continue our conversation, I know we've already talked about the Fed uh, about um, 10 minutes longer than the 30 seconds dad allows us to talk about it, but you know, we, it we is what to. it is. We, we have, have to, to because this has an end effect on the market. <clears throat> and I know that there has been a little bit of grumblings that, or the, a question is Jerome Powell going to get re-upped by the Biden administration? Cause we know the shade that Elizabeth Warren threw on him saying that he is, you know, most the most dangerous Federal Reserve chairman they've ever had and that the, the, the risk of the banks, which she is completely out of her gourd. Um, the, the banks are the most capitalized financially than they've probably ever been in history and especially post financial crisis. So she has absolutely no idea what she's talking about. She uses stick with the law and lying about, you know, her background. Um, that's what she's good at. <clears throat> but the, the, the bottom line is, if he is not re-upped, I believe the, the, the folks that they're talking about potentially replacing him if he is not re-nominated by President Biden, they're going to be even more dovish than he is. And we were, before we went to commercial break, talking about two Fed governors that are, that are retiring and the two Fed governors that are going to be replacing them. If memory serves me correct from what I've read, I don't have their names off the top of my head, but they're also very dovish so my my response to all that is whether they're dovish or not dovish the marketplace is going to be moving interest rates right all the federal reserve has control of is federal funds rate the marketplace is going to be moving interest rates this is true but the market in the marketplace has been moving them more here of late we are not at the high yields of the year i think the high yields of the year were back in March, April. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like one and three quarters or something. I think we got yeah, to close to one eight. So we're, I mean, we're not. Well, we were on record for this year saying that we thought we'd get to two, two, two and a half percent by the end of the year. Um, I think it's very easily could have a two handle on it by the end of the year if we continue to have these inflation numbers uh, higher than expected because. The market's going to be anticipating the Federal Reserve making a move faster than they are otherwise been communicating to us. And, and everybody listening to us should know, and I know you guys know, that just because they say one thing one month doesn't mean they're going to say the same thing two months later. They have been known to change their tune, and changing the tune has had detrimental effects on the short term in terms of stocks, a la 2018. Right. So, well, uh, well, as we've said on this program, there is no playbook for recovering economically and from an employment standpoint from a global pandemic. There is no playbook. I mean, I heard a statistic last night 
that there has now been more COVID deaths this year under the Biden administration than under President Trump. And a good chunk of those people have been vaccinated. So that is a a statistic that obviously the Biden administration is not going to be touting much about. But I'm not of sure course, what that has to do with interest rates or no, it doesn't. Or any of that. No, no, it, it, it doesn't. But what I'm saying is, is that this is a completely different situation. And this is why having flexibility in your portfolio, why active management in your portfolio is so incredibly critical. And the set it and forget it is not a is not a, a, a prudent strategy when it comes to managing assets. And because there is no playbook, but in this particular situation, it's pretty obvious why we have these inflationary issues because of these supply chain bottlenecks, because of the lack of employees and workers. And it's going to take more time for that to be alleviated. So is that going to give cover for the fed to drag their feet a little bit longer? I think it does. You in my personal opinion, because it gives them the ability to kick the can further down the road, particularly since the Fed is so focused on the employment rate. No, and no, we know. OK, so you're, so you're saying that you think the Federal Reserve is going to hold off acting because they because they don't want to upset stock prices. Not because they don't want to upset stock prices, but they're they're keenly focused on employment. Uh, no, and the I fact totally that disagree. Yeah, this is where Jeff. <laughs> this, is is where we're, this is where I really. Kyle's like employment's going to have nothing to do with. I mean, the, the yeah, Federal I, Reserve. I, they're not talking about employment. If they were worried about employment, they're not talking about it. Oh, they have. They have. You must they have missed say, those comments. They didn't say they were dis. Did they come out and say they were disappointed? Well, about there's the also types of today? employment that they that. It's a very big. It's a very big data point. It's a very big data that he point. Okay. So let's employment than others. Okay. okay. What's the biggest risk to stocks in the in the near term? Rising well, sharply rates, higher interest rates. Rate. Okay. No, 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 no. I'm talking about just stocks in general, in terms of earnings. We got earnings coming out. Yes, right? earnings. If 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 they come out and they say that their that their their profitability is threatened. Because they're having a hard time keeping up with input costs. Maybe they can't necessarily pass them on to their customers as fast as they need, as fast as, the, as customers will accept them. That's going to have implications for profitability, and that's going to have implications for you know, looking at stocks from a fundamental point of view, from price-to-earnings, multiple point of view. Okay. If the earnings are earnings growth is starting to decline, or if the earnings are threatened, and you've got a stock that's maybe got a really high price to earnings ratio, price for perfection, as they say in the marketplace, that could be detrimental for those stocks. The other thing is, is that this whole computation, this whole ignoring of price to earnings ratios, and using things like equity, what do they call it? The uh, oh goodness gracious, ladies and gentlemen, I forgot uh, equity risk premium. That's, that is predicated on a certain level of interest rates. If those interest rates go higher, higher then the equi- that, that whole computation gets challenged because now higher interest rates means you've got to have lower PEs on the stocks, right? 
Well, as we're coming up to the top of the hour, I know it's kind of a weird place to I'm end it. Sorry, but I would just man. no, I know. I would I would just say this as we Stay said earlier in the show. Yes, definitely tune in, tune in catch our week. catch our podcast, and uh, we'll we'll go deeper into this discussion on next next weekend show. But with that, for our listeners of Money Wise um, twelve hundred W I W O A I in San Antonio, I'd like to thank you for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. You can catch the second hour on our website at davidsoncap.com. And for listeners of Money Wise on 1360 KKTX in Corpus Christi, stay tuned because when we come back from the top of the hour break, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with some investor education. So stay tuned and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are heading into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, now, as we utilize every second hour of the MoneyWise program going into investor education and wanted to go into a topic that we haven't talked about in quite some time, um, it seems that a lot of our educational segments we talk to we talk to our listeners about the accumulation and the saving side of retirement and, and getting to that uh, retirement red zone but we we seldom discuss what happens once you're in retirement and and really more importantly and f- more focused on how do you spend in retirement and the appropriate level of spending in retirement to make sure that your retirement nest egg lasts a lifetime. And there was an article, Dad, that you found for MarketWatch in the Wall Street Journal, and it really spurred us into saying to ourselves, you know what, we need to talk about this because I don't think we've covered it enough on this program. I, I think some of our listeners are currently in retirement or right on the verge of going into retirement, and there would be a very solid topic to go into so our listeners can start doing their own planning and what i what i call it when i work with our clients or prospective clients i call it financial road mapping that's just the the name i've given it uh, myself as far as what we do for our current clients for prospective clients as they're transitioning into retirement just to give them an idea of this is your nest egg this is what you're projected to need to take out on a monthly basis and on an annual basis, and this is what 
can happen to your assets as you go through retirement. But there was a survey that was done in this article, and the title of the article is The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend. And this article really kind of goes in two different directions. It, it kind of it, it goes into the direction of retirees not really spending hardly anything of their retirement nest egg because they're terrified to spend well, a single dollar. They're concerned about outliving their money. They're concerned about that. But then there's the other side of the coin of retirees going, I don't want to use the word nuts, but spending a little bit more than they should and actually upsizing and because – Again, looking at a sizable amount of assets, let's say you retire, you've accumulated a million, $1.5 million, $2 million, that it gives them a sense of security that, hey, I can go from a 1,000-square-foot house, I want to build me a new 3,500-square-foot house in retirement because I have all of these assets, and not realizing what kind of significant impact that can make on their nest egg. And so there was a survey done uh, back in February, and they found that not only are some retirees not downsizing, but 30% of these retirees that they surveyed have actually upsized their lifestyle and have upsized their their homes and their lifestyle. I I was quite surprised seeing a 30% increase. Now, granted, this is their sample size. It's not a huge sample size, but, again, it's an interesting statistic that 30% of these retirees were upsizing um, as as they moved into retirement. And I know that if any of our listeners went to a financial planner, went to a financial salesman and said, okay, here's, here's my nest egg. I want to start drawing assets off of it to live in retirement. How much should I be pulling out? And it seems that the rule of thumb in the brokerage community and the financial planning community has always been a 4% rule to be not taking out more than 4% of the total value of your portfolio on an annual basis. Now, at Davidson Capital Management, being that we're in our 26th year of business, we have a little bit different experience because we have proof of our management philosophy and how it is performed in good markets, bad markets, higher interest rate environments, and, and of course, the horribly low interest rate environment we're currently in. And we have found that you know, our clients have been able to average between a 6 and 7% withdrawal rate on an annual basis and not encroach on their principal assets they invested with us over the lifetime of the account. And we utilize client number one that's been with us 26-plus years and what they've been able to withdraw from their account and have not only taken out more than they originally invested with us, but actually have more in their account than what they originally invested with us. So we know that our philosophy works because we have proof. We have the numbers to prove it. Um, but that 4% rule has been used by the financial service industry for many, many years. But now, because of the extremely low interest rate environment, some of some folks in the financial service industry are now changing that withdrawal rate to between 2 and 3%. I mean, that's just that's insane, really. That is low. Well, in our opinion... The way we view this, this, the 4% rule, as, as you talked about, Kyle, being used by our competitors in, on Wall Street, we've kind of looked at it as they're trying to keep the bar as low for themselves as possible. Uh, that way they can charge higher fees, 
sell their products that have loads, uh, you know, sales charges attached to them, and and still meet their four percent maximum rate of withdrawal uh, target that they tell their clients that they want what they want their clients to stick to. So we the by taking it down to two or three percent maximum withdrawal rate per year, that's lowering the bar even more than what was what we what we thought was a pre was a low bar to begin with. With a four percent rule. Right. So if you're if you if you got a client that's got a million dollars and you're telling well you can only withdraw two percent a year, that's twenty thousand dollars. Well think about this. I mean if you put it in the government bonds, ten year bonds right now Exactly. You don't need any of this. You can get right at two percent. Exactly. So you don't. You don't need to go to Wall Street to get a two percent withdrawal rate. I mean, you can do that on your own, dealing direct with the Federal Reserve. So that that's absurd. That's why I said that's insane. That's insane. Well, they're they're. Tr- I guess they're trying to cost themselves all the trailing commissions that Dad, you and I talked about on last weekend's show. They're they're trying to cost themselves a lot of commissions because, like you said, you can go directly to the Treasury and buy government bonds, which is a guaranteed rate of return, the only guaranteed rate of return on Wall Street to generate that withdrawal yeah, to, rate of two to one percent. Whether it's two, three, or four percent, in my opinion, this looks like a revenue enhancement to. Uh, Policy by Wall Street. Okay, well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the money wise program you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so continuing our investor education and it's an uh, and it comes from an article the surprising amount retirees spend and we're talking about spending in retirement And some of the rules of thumb that we utilize with our clients at Davidson Capital Management. Uh, But also just some tips for pre-retirees so they can do a quick determination with very simple calculations of whether or not they're potentially ready for retirement and kind of hop on that proverbial horse and riding off into the sunset. And some things that they can do and utilize some free calculators uh, that are online for them to do some of their at-home at calculations. Now, getting back to this article, there's a financial research firm. Uh, I, I love the name of it. It's called Hearts and Wallets. <laughs> <laughs> this this research firm, they surveyed uh, a little bit over 1,200 households age 65 and older that had assets of more than $100,000. And the research, researchers found that only 12% uh, or I shouldn't say only, they found out that 12% took out over twice the 4% rule, closer to a 9% withdrawal rate per year, but they also found that 28% withdrew less than 1%, and some of these folks surveyed didn't remove any assets at all from their retirement assets. Now, I would be assuming that these folks either have, A, taxable assets, and outside accounts, because most likely they would be asking if it's IRAs or pensions or what have you, or they have traditional defined benefit plans and getting their pension payment. They decided not to take the cash lump sum option, which is what we recommend 
to any retiree at Davidson Capital Management to take that lump sum distribution from your pension so you gain control of those assets, or their lifestyle is so modest that their Social Security payments are more than covering their daily living expenses. I mean, that's that's the only thing I was able to take away from this survey of over 1,200 households that were surveyed. Um, But, you know, one thing that that was interesting that came out of this article that really spurred us to want to talk about this is this mentality of chunks or nothing. And that means retirees going into their IRA accounts, going into their retirement accounts, and taking a chunk of money out at a particular period of time as opposed to spreading those payments out over a monthly basis. And I wanted to talk about this because... Being in business 26 years, we deal with this on a weekly basis at Davidson Capital Management where you know, we recommend that if you're going to be living off of your assets in retirement to set up really kind of your own annuity. And I hate to even use the word annuity, <laughs> but I have to let all of our listeners know the definition of the word annuity means a periodic stream of payments. That's what annuity means. Well, you can create your own annuity through an IRA without actually having to go and buy an annuity, and you do that by setting up a particular dollar amount that you're going to be withdrawing on a monthly basis from your retirement nest egg to live off of in retirement. And this is what we would recommend at Davidson Capital Management as opposed to taking chunks out. And the reason why we recommend not taking chunks of assets out are for a couple of reasons. First off, when you say, okay, I need $15,000 out of my account, and then four or five months later, I need $20,000 out of my account, and then a couple months later, you take another 10000 out, you get to the end of the year, you kind of forget the chunks of assets you took out earlier in the year. And so when you add up the total amount of withdrawals that you took, a lot of times you'll find out that you were violating, again, a at our at our firm, the six to seven percent withdrawal rate rule, where you're part of this group that's taking out nine, ten, eleven percent of your investable net worth well, by well, by taking it in chunks. But the other reason why we don't recommend doing this is you save for retirement typically through dollar cost averaging. If you're participating in a four hundred one k, your dollar cost averaging into the market. It's also wise to dollar cost average out of the market because if you time the withdrawal of a big chunk of assets at the wrong time, it could wind up costing you at the end of the year when it comes down to your total performance return and growth of those assets. And I, An example that I like to use is think of your retirement nest egg like a golden goose. And that golden goose produces golden eggs, and those golden eggs are – capital appreciation, dividend income, interest income. You want to keep that golden goose as large as possible, as long as possible to create the biggest golden eggs it possibly can. But if you're going in and taking large chunks of that golden goose out, then you start, of course, leaking into the issue of the law of large numbers, meaning you want to keep your number, your retirement nest egg, as big as possible, as long as possible. So instead of taking $10,000 out, let's say you have to take $50,000 out a year. You know, Why don't you take $4,000 out a month as opposed to taking $15,000 out every quarter, You know, doing it that way? 
Uh, so bottom line is, is our recommendation is to dollar cost average assets out of your retirement nest egg as opposed to taking chunks at one time. The other thing we run into is that we'll see situations where um, clients don't give us the heads up when they're getting ready to need a chunk withdrawal, and it really affects what a manager is doing with the money if he's not told. It's If you know money's coming out every month, you can also plan as a portfolio manager. Mm-hmm. When you do the chunk withdrawals, it can force sales that you don't want to make. And it may not come at the right time. That's I mean, right. I mean, you are, you're affecting the return in your portfolio based on that chunk. Now, if you're fortunate enough to have taken a chunk out in early March of 2000, that would have been a whole lot better than taking a chunk out in October of 2000. But it averages out. That's true, but it averages out over the life of the but account. But if it's a large enough chunk, you start, I mean, when we, we know you start taking out more than 7% a year, you run the risk. You're going to be you're going to be running out of money. I mean, depending on how many years this goes on. I mean, we know this. I mean, it's not something we have to study. Twenty five years plus seeing this, and we've had some wild and woolly markets since nineteen eighty nine, and there we're gonna have wild and woolly markets for the next twenty five years. And so you start doing that and you are going to run out of money. And I would say, and Jeff and I have been here long enough, we have seen people run through retirement accounts in a very short period of time, run through inheritances. It happens time and time again. And we will counsel these people and explain to them what's going to happen. But it seems like once it starts, they can't seem to stop it. Yeah. It's it's like hitting an artery that you you can't stop the bleeding. And it isn't, I mean, it's their money. We are there to work for them. But we're also there to counsel, and we will tell, you know, you are going to see this money disappear. A lot of the time when we see people taking chunks out of their retirement accounts, uh, they are more times than not uh, purchases that they shouldn't be making. Um, I've had to advise many times for folks they want to pay off their mortgage. The first thing that happens is they retire, and they have a seven-figure Retirement, and the very first thing they want to do is they want to get totally debt free, and they want to pay off their house, they want to pay off their cars, they want to pay off their credit cards. You know, some of these things we sh- should have been planned ahead of time to have them paid off before you reach retirement. Maybe not necessarily the house, but by taking all these chunks now and converting them to assets that are appreciating at a lower rate or appreciating it. No, re- you know, or depreciating, like you know, paying like off a, a car or like a vehicle. Uh, that that that's a real problem. We've also had to counsel folks many times that are, and I'm going to use the term "quote unquote" retiring because they're not actually retiring; they're changing careers, and they go in and raid their retirement nest eggs in order to change careers. And I've had several situations where clients would take out 50 or 60 percent of their money or more to start a new business change careers and the the, the problem that we have as as long-term planners uh, of, of retirement nest eggs is that is this new endeavor 
going to replace this money that you're taking out in a short period of time. If you change careers at 50 years old, you know, and you're 10, 12 years away from retirement and you take a million-dollar portfolio down to $500,000, are you going to be able to replace that $500,000 in 10 years in this new endeavor to restore your retirement back to where it was before? That's a that's a that's a question that I that any that I've had to pose to several people who did end up taking all the money, and in many in several cases we've had you know one that completely went through their entire retirement nest egg uh, in this new business endeavor, and that's not a good thing. We wouldn't recommend funding a new business endeavor with your retirement nest egg. No. You should go out and and find other forms of financing, and if you can't get it. Maybe you shouldn't be going into that business venture. Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so continuing our education of about retirement spending and, and really this whole conversation spurred by an article titled The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend. We've only got into a little bit of the article because we deal with this on a weekly basis at Davidson Capital Management, so we're really discussing our own personal experiences with our client base and just rules of thumb that we use as an investment advisor and also just some tips uh, for our listeners to utilize in getting prepared for retirement and to make sure that you don't outlive your assets. And one thing, Jeff, you were talking about, folks going into retirement, wanting to pay off their cars, wanting to pay off their credit cards, wanting to pay off their house because they don't want to have any bills coming in. Right. And I think the the key there is is that the retirement planning process shouldn't begin the year before you're going to retire. The retirement planning process should be starting many years, you know, 3 years before. So that you if 3 years before you're planning on retiring, you have these credit cards and this car payment and this house payment, then the planning should start three years before. Well, we need to get the credit cards paid off because they're typically they're typically at much higher interest rates. You know, the cars. Well, that's a what are the rates the cars are at? That's you right. Know, if if you bought them here recently, uh, the their interest rates should be pretty low and probably wouldn't be advisable to pay them off uh, with retirement assets. You know, their interest rates are really low. But because one thing that retirees forget is as you pull assets out of the IRA, they're fully taxable as ordinary income. So now you're paying taxes on this withdrawal to pay off this vehicle or to buy whatever. So it's, it's yeah, it's nice that you're paying it off, but you're having to pay taxes on that withdrawal. And, and the thing that, that we discuss here in the office is, well, look at the interest rate. Because we, we get it. We understand. Folks don't like to pay bills. No one likes to pay bills. They don't want to make that car payment on a monthly basis. They don't want to make that mortgage payment on a monthly basis. We get it. 
But you have to take a look at what is my interest rate? What am I paying? If I have a car note at, say, 2.5%, you want to continue to finance that. I know Jeff and I get this question all the time. Should I be paying cash for a new vehicle? Well, what's the interest rate? Well, it's 3.5%. No, don't pay cash for it. Because just utilizing our, our asset builder, our moderate allocation, our asset builder, our goal return for that account over the lifetime of that account is 7%. So I use 7% as the rule of thumb. If the interest rate is below 7%, you finance it. If the interest rate is above 7%, okay, we could discuss paying cash for it. Because, it, again, you want to keep that golden goose as large as possible, as long as possible, to take advantage of compound interest and the law of large numbers. The other thing about removing money from your retirement nest egg, especially if it's an IRA, to pay off bills is that the income taxes you have to pay. That's right. And, and and if you don't have cash available to pay those income taxes, where do you have to rate again to right. pay for those income taxes? So, Your IRA again, so it's an ongoing cycle. So if you take, say, a $20,000 car loan at 3%, and you take that $20,000 out of your retirement nest egg, you're giving up $20,000 that, under our philosophy over the long term, might earn an estimated 7% to pay off a 3% loan. So that's 4%. On twenty thousand dollars, you know, four percent on twenty thousand dollars, I believe, is eight hundred dollars. If my member, if my math is correct, uh, per year, per year, exactly. And then on top of that, let's say you're in a fifteen percent tax bracket, and you take that twenty thousand dollars out. Well, now you're looking at uh, what was that three thousand dollars in, in income taxes that you're going to have to pay. Pulling that money out. So you're giving up $800 a year in additional income compounded and a $3,000 tax bill in a 15% tax bracket just to pay off a $20,000 car loan at 3%. Well, imagine how that works out if you want to expand it out to paying off a house. It can, you know, it can cost let's say you it's a lot. A couple of hundred thousand dollar house and at a 4% interest rate. You know that those are, those run into some really big numbers. I mean, the taxes alone. You know, if it was two hundred thousand dollars, you might you get hit with a twenty plus percent tax bill. That's forty thousand dollars in taxes. Now, now talking about vehicle purchases or talking about homes, like you were talking about earlier, Jeff. If if you have several credit cards all carrying balances at a high interest rate. You really need to get those paid off before you even contemplate going into retirement. I mean, you really need to have consumer debt from the credit card standpoint, that financial house in order before you go into retirement. As I say to prospective clients or current clients, if you have a car note at a low interest rate, that's fine going into retirement. You have a mortgage payment at a low interest rate going into retirement, that's fine. But any consumer debt, you really want to have that paid off before you go into retirement because of all the reasons we were just explaining you don't want to retire and have to pull out $75,000 to pay off credit card debt because now here you go again you're having to pay tax on that distribution to pay these credit cards off so if you find yourself thinking about retirement and you're sitting on twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars in credit card debt you need to focus on paying off that debt first so you don't find yourself in a situation where you go and you retire and now you're having to pull out eight, nine, ten percent a year 
out of your retirement nest egg to keep up with all of these bills. But how do you figure out how much do I need in retirement? Now, I will tell you this. If we all knew when the last day on earth was going to be for each and every one of us, boy, retirement planning would be so simple. It would be so easy. But unfortunately, no one knows when their last day on earth is going to be. So you always have to prepare. The oldest saying in the book, prepare for a rainy day. So what you need to do and what we recommend is if you want to maintain your lifestyle, as as I say to prospective clients, if you're used to eating steak three times a week, don't think that once you go into retirement, you're going to be eating PB&J and rice and beans three times a week instead of steak. So we recommend to take 12 months of your spending and average them out. Add up 12 months. And if you haven't If you don't keep good records and you're thinking about retirement, you need to start keeping a record every month of what you're spending for your cell phone, your electricity, your water, your entertainment, food, all of your expenses. You add up 12 months, divided by 12, you get your average. And once you have that average, you multiply by 12 again. That is your withdrawal rate per year that you need to take out in order to maintain that lifestyle. Now, if that dollar amount divided by how much you've saved is greater, that withdrawal rate is greater than, say, 7%, then you need to either, A, lower your living expenses somehow, or, B, you need to work longer and you need to save more. And, again, there's financial calculators. There's a website called financialcalculators.com. I absolutely love this website. You can utilize it for free. It has so many calculators and so many different consumer finance and retirement planning arenas, it will blow your mind. And it's a, and it's a website that I use very, very often. In fact, I used it today. So utilize financialcalculators.com, but you need to sit down and do this work. Don't just go into retirement blindly and figure out what you're going to need to be spending on a monthly basis, and that's what we would recommend is taking monthly withdrawals, not chunks. You have to get out of the chunk mentality. And we understand emergencies arise where you do have to tap in more than than what you are taking out on a monthly basis. We get that, but don't make it a habit. I was going to say the the key to managing retirement assets, to me, comes down to one word, flexibility. Absolutely. And flexibility means that your retirement assets are not invested in instruments that... Take that away. Yeah, that that reduce your ability to withdraw if an unforeseen event comes comes you know happens, and I'm kind of laying this at the feet of non publicly traded REITs or private placements or annuities of all different kinds, or even taking a defined benefit payment from a traditional pension. That would be something else, right. taking a traditional roll, pension. Yeah, roll, instead of taking the lump sum, you roll. You just go on and say, I'm going to take the pension, and that's it. Because once you lock yourself into taking that pension payment, you're done. You, you, that's, the, that's it. You're only getting that amount of money 
for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life and your spouse's life. And then once those two, typically, once once if you choose the right the, the particular option where you get you get a pension payment for your lifetime and your wife gets a pension payment for her lifetime, there's no other assets going to the uh, estate. And it's not those payments are not adjusted for inflation. So every month that goes by, that pension payment is buying less. And they're also not guaranteed. That's right. No matter how strong the corporation is, and I know the the refinery businesses here in the Corpus Christi area are very good at taking care of their employees. I mean, we've seen it firsthand. But there are no guarantees in life. And when you have your pension and you're taking those pension payments, and if that pension goes insolvent, very bad things can happen. And we'll talk about that when we come back from our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-275. Two one six two, and if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So in our last segment of this weekend's MoneyWise program, uh, before we went to break, Jeff was talking about maintaining flexibility in retirement, and I was talking about taking pension payments, and we were talking about solvency of pensions. The one thing that each and every one of our listeners needs to understand is that there is no such thing as a guaranteed pension from any corporation. I mean, corporations have gone out of business all the time. I mean, I think of WorldCom. I think of Enron. There's other corporations that have gone out of business. The airline, a lot of airline industry or a lot of companies in the airline industry have gone out of business. The reason why we recommend taking a lump sum distribution, if it's available, in your pension or if you have, if you're lucky enough to still have a defined benefit or pension plan from your employer, the reason why we recommend to take that cash lump sum payout is to be able to maintain that flexibility in retirement and not rely on your former employer to be making those monthly payments to you because you have to understand those monthly pension payments are not hedged are not adjusted for monetary inflation. So what buys you uh, in 2015 is going to buy you a heck of a lot less the payment, the same payment you're getting in 2020 or in 2030. So that's the reason why you want to take that lump sum to have that flexibility and also to have access to those assets in case you do run into an emergency or want to be spending a little bit more that you can afford to spend a little bit more than what your pension payment uh, you're receiving is going to amount to. But the other reason is that if a pension goes insolvent, it gets turned over to the PBGC, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. And the thing you have to understand is the PBGC has multi-billion dollars of unfunded pension liabilities, and they have a cap set on the maximum amount a pension recipient can receive on a monthly basis. And so if you were lucky enough to be receiving a very sizable, say, a four or $5,000 a month pension payment, well, last I checked, which is, it's, been a, it's been a while since I've checked, but if memory serves me correct, the PBGC's maximum monthly payout is less than $3,000 a month. 
So if you were receiving a four or five thousand dollar monthly pension payment, and the pension gets turned over to the PBGC, yeah, you just sliced you just sliced your regardless pension payment. of how much you're receiving a month, you're going to get less. Yeah, you're going to get less. That's right. And something else that we've talked about on past shows: some horror stories concerning these pension payouts. And I've read this right out of the Wall Street Journal is the actuarial firms crunching the numbers have run into situations where they find out that a pension has been overpaying pension recipients for years and years and years, and one day a pension recipient goes to the mailbox, receives a letter stating, oh, we've overpaid you over the last 10 years, $150,000. You need to pay that back to us immediately, or we're going to cut your pension benefit in half until we recoup that that overpayment. It's rare. It's rare. It's very rare. But it happens. One thing that struck me was was this um, that was on page two of the... And come, going back to the article, uh, and the article titled, let me get back to the title, The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend, um, the roadmap for policymakers and Americans' view of the retirement crisis from the National Institute of Retirement Security found that in a survey of 801 Americans, 67% said that they'd be willing to take less in salary increases today today in exchange for guaranteed income in retirement. And again, this goes right this is laid right to the feet of this pension benefit, this the secure the secure feeling you get from receiving that monthly check from a pension or from an annuity, and unfortunately, these payments are not adjusted for monetary inflation. And we constantly talk about monetary inflation on the Money Wise program because not enough folks in the financial service industry are talking about it. Monetary inflation is the silent killer to the value of your retirement nest egg. Well, what what I see here, when I see people wanting to take less salary today for this Guaranteed amount quote, of money, quote unquote, guaranteed in the future. And the one thing you don't want to do is whatever that payment you're getting at age sixty-five or sixty-six, you're not going to like it at age seventy-eight, seventy-nine. I, I, I will guarantee you that. Oh, you're using the G. Yeah, word. yeah. That's the guarantee. The guarantee is you're, <laughs> you're not, not going to like it. You're not going to like that amount of money ten years down the road. The one thing I'm, you know, I'm only seventy. I'm not. I'm not. You know, I, I'm not. Retired, retired. But the one thing that Jeff said that is is the most important word is that flexibility. You cannot give up flexibility. And here's people saying, oh, if you just pay me less money today. I'm, I'm willing to get, take less know, money try, and give up flexibility. And give up flexibility. No. No. I mean, this, this But is, that's fear talking, Dad. See, right. that's the thing. This is fear. These 67% of these 801 people surveyed. This is fear. This is the 67% that the annuity community focuses on. That's right. These are the fearful people that we've talked about last year on a show, the Dalbar study of overly emotional investors constantly remembering their losses and their failures and not remembering their victories. And because of the 24-hour news cycle, because of the volatility that's here to stay on Wall Street, it's never going away. And I don't think it's ever going to get any better. You know what I would like to the, the, do if I was retiring, if I thought in terms of guaranteed, create a laddered government bond portfolio knowing that interest rates are going up in the future and that guaranteed amount is going to be going up in the future. And guaranteed by the federal government. 
instead of taking salary increases in exchange for a guaranteed income in retirement, how about they keep the same salary but contribute more to their 401ks and build up their 401k nest eggs and stop being so fearful about day-to-day movements in the stock markets or what this pundit is saying and that pundit is saying and just pay yourself more in, in, in accumulating retirement assets now because taking a, accepting a lower salary for, in exchange for a guaranteed income in retirement that's baloney. The, the, what it's, it's just never – this guaranteed income in retirement is not going to be enough to fund a, comf- a comfortable retirement, retirement for, for most people. It's just not. So. so pay yourself first now with your increased salary by contributing more to your 401Ks and have some money in stocks and have some money in bonds and have some money in cash, but don't have it all in bonds and cash because you're never going to beat monetary inflation over the long term if you're not willing to take a little bit of risk now. And, and if any of our listeners would like to have a deeper powwow concerning their particular financial situation, you can reach us in our office on Monday at 906 906- Zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two. And with that, from my father John and my brother Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying, "Have a fantastic weekend into your financial health." We will talk to you next week. <laughs>